The guests on Love Hurts occasionally use some adult language and go into some more intense subject matter, but that's kind of how real life works anyway. This is Love Hurts. I'm Brian Berlin. Today's guest is Paul Heary. Paul is a storyteller living in Connecticut. Years ago, Paul met his wife at a time where his life was in a state of uncertainty. After 44 years together, Paul lost his wife to a battle with cancer, but he shares the four rules she left him with and how he's worked to embody those rules and enrich his life in the process. Hey, Paul, how's it going? It's going just fine, Brian. How are you? Good. You know, just getting through a hectic day, but I'm glad to get to like talk to you in person or not in person over Zoom, uh, but looking at your face. Uh, yeah. And hear and hear about a story that you're going to share. What did you want to talk about? Um, what I'd like to do uh, is tell you about the story about how I met my wife and our, our first date shortly after. Um, so if you don't mind, I'll just jump right into it. Yeah, that sounds great. All right. I was 20 years old, and I found myself living back at home because, with my parents because I had just dropped out of college with less than a semester to go until graduation. Wait, so you, had, so you were one semester away from graduating? Yes, I, I was actually less than a semester. Yeah, so la- you were in your last semester, and then yes. you left college. Correct. Uh, the reason for that is that I was a journalism major. And the professor that I had uh, during the last semester wanted to get everybody ready uh, for life as a journalist. And he said that he would assign us three to four deadlines every day, seven days a week. Oh, my God. Yes, that that just drove me (laughs) uh, (laughs) um, and really just piqued anxiety. And I remember waking up one day saying, I can't do this for the rest of my life. So at that point, I decided that I was going to drop out of college because I could not be a journalist. Yeah, so there is this world of like, I am going to see if you can actually handle this crazy news cycle. And in a way, like, I guess, like sort of trying to break people to be like, well, if you can't do this now, you're not going to be able to succeed in this world. (laughs) Well, it would have been nice if he had done that about three years earlier. I was going to say, that's a lot to put into people to be like, well, you've gone through almost your full education. Now you're going to see how it really is and like scare people away right before they're going to (laughs) graduate. Exactly. So anyway, um, I I found myself uh, in a position where I needed to, um, you know, meet some expenses and, uh, you know, do something with my life. So I took a full-time job working at Sam Goody's. Yeah, which is like what? That's like a CD, like a music store, right? It, it, it was a chain of music stores. Yeah. And when I started there, it was long before CDs were available. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said that so. and I was like, oh, yeah, I forget. <laughs> probably more probably records and tapes at that point. Um, yes, it, records, um, cassette tapes, we were still selling eight tracks. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. So yes, it was, it was, um, in the late seventies. And while you were there, sorry, this is also, this made me think of from the journalism standpoint. So you're going to like, again, having your major being like, all right, I know what I'm going to do with my life. 
And then you're like, now I don't know what I'm going to... Like, was there this part of you that's just like, what am I going to do now? Because, like, I guess going into getting a retail job is a little bit like, let me get anything to get some money. But is there this other part of you that's like, I don't know what to do with my life now? The answer to that is yes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I didn't know what I was going to do. And, again, I needed to, uh, you know, earn some money. Yeah. And, uh, you know... You know, not not support myself because you know my parents were okay. Well, not really okay with me living at home, but uh, they were okay with with me being there. Yeah, there's like a temporary like okay, I have a little time to to reset here. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So one of the things um, after I got the job at Sam Goody's is I needed to figure out how to get to work and back again. And my brother, my older brother, is six years older than me. Uh, decided that he would gift me his eight-year-old AMC Gremlin. Okay. <laughs> You're laughing, and uh, most people, when they hear about an AMC Gremlin, do laugh. Yeah, I was going to say, I have no idea what this car looks like, but just by the name alone, it seems like okay. an incredible car. Uh, an incredible car is an understatement. It was probably one of the worst vehicles ever made. Uh, <laughs> but anyway... So yeah, I'm looking up a uh, photo now. Okay, I see. Yeah, yeah, this is why. This is like, wow, this is so strange. Yes, I, actually, if I still had that car, it would be worth some money. But n- none of them uh, survived this long. It has a very but like. Anyway. It almost looks like a miniature, compact version of almost like the Ghostbusters car. Like it's very. It's the long front. Like it's got a very long hood. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, just. <laughs> just filling in my thought. I just wanted to check it out. Yes. Okay. So you have this AMC Gremlin. Yes. I'm, I'm glad I was able to provide you an education. So <laughs> any day, uh, anyway, one day at work, um, I, I noticed that there was a, uh, a cute new trainee in the 45s department because you're younger than me. 45s are small vinyl. Yeah. Like single, generally singles, things like yes, that. Right. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I was, checking her out and when i looked over she actually looked over back at me and her eyes locked for it must have been seconds but it seemed to be much longer and we 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 clearly had shared a moment but we were both a little embarrassed and went back to doing our work now i'm a shy individual and i really was not bold enough to go up to her and introduce myself so I tried to um, figure out how I can engage with her. So I positioned myself to be working between the 45s department and the time clock for my shift, <laughs> Fig- <laughs> figuring that at some point she would know to need to be- go to the time clock to clock out. Now, as I'm waiting for that uh, to occur, every time I glanced over at her, it seemed like she was always glancing back. Eventually, I saw her approaching. So I swallowed hard, took a deep breath, walked up to her and introduced myself. She just responded with a big smile and said, Hi, I'm Andy. At that point, our eyes locked once again, and I just got lost in her her gorgeous, deep brown eyes. That's how we met. Now, after that, we wound up taking our breaks together, taking lunch breaks together. And it got to a point where 
was actually looking forward to going to work because Andy would be there. Now, through all of this, I'm trying to build up the courage to actually ask her out. And I, I just couldn't get to it. But then a opportunity was presented to me that I figured this would be a good excuse to ask her to go out with me. A party was being thrown by my brother for my cousin. My cousin was uh, in the U.S. from the U.K. And we were throwing the party for him because he was being deported for an outstanding marijuana offense in England. <laughs> in my family, that was as good of an excuse as any for a party. <laughs> so I went to Andy and asked her if she would like to go to the party with me. And she just responded with an enthusiastic yes. So I gotten over that hurdle. Yeah, and how long, how, so you've been doing a lot of like, how many months at that point or weeks have been like having breaks together, being around each other at work for you to like get to this point of like, I'm going to ask her to come to this party? It was about two weeks. Okay. So it, it, it was pretty quick, but yes. Yeah, and especially, well, especially because it's like, I feel like if you're spending most of your work days together too and your breaks together, it's like, yeah, there's that quick like anticipation of like, oh yeah, how do I make this go to the next step, right? Mm-hmm. Now... One of the things, though, is that, you know, we, we obviously had a connection, or at least in my mind, we obviously had a connection, and I wanted the, the date to go well. So I was thinking about what do I need to do, you know, taking her to the party, everything else. So on the day of the party, one of my other coworkers, Carl, reminded me that I agreed, I had agreed to drive him home after work because his car was being repaired. So I checked with Andy. I said, is it okay if we drop Carl off? And she said, yes, not a problem. After work, we all leave uh, the store. We walk outside the mall and it started to rain. Just started as we walked out. Now, as mentioned before, um, the, a gremlin was not a reliable vehicle. They <laughs> all had, had their own quirks. And one of the quirks of... The, my gremlin um, was that the windshield wipers work sporadically. So as we're walking to the car, it starts raining a little bit harder. We get there. I open the door and ask Andy if she could get into the back seat. And she looks at me questioningly, but she's like, oh, okay. I said, please just get in the back seat. And once Carl gets in, you'll understand why. <laughs> We get in the car. I tell Carl to roll down his window. And whenever the windshield wipers stop, I wait to reach out and grab them and poke them and get them moving again. <laughs> it wasn't long until Carl was soaked from <laughs> his torso up through his head because it was raining hard and he's moving the windshield wipers back and forth as we're driving along. Then um, I had a thought. I said, this is not going to be a good first date if I ask Andy to take over Carl's duties <laughs> after we drop him off. <laughs> so I came up with a plan, took a slight detour, and went and got my dad's Ford. 
So we swapped out cars. The Ford was nothing special, but the windshield wipers worked. <laughs> we get to the car. Andy jumps in the front seat. Carl gets in the back this time. So we drive and drop Carl off. After we dropped Carl off, Andy slid across the big bent seat in the Ford, cuddled up close to me, looked up to me with her gorgeous brown eyes, paused for a second and said, we could have taken my car. <laughs> <laughs> so from there, driving to the restaurant where, where the party was being held, and I was thinking, oh, shit, there's something else I completely forgot about. It's our first date, and Andy's going to be subjected to members of my family. <laughs> my, my brother was a stand-up comedian. My sister was an actress. And my cousin, well, my cousin was a fugitive. <laughs> now, <laughs> my, my cousin and my siblings took it easy on me. They didn't harass me too much. And after the party was over, I'm driving Andy back. And she said to me, that was great. That was a lot of fun. It was not too much longer until we exchanged those three little words with one another. Andy and I were together for 44 years until she passed away last year after battling cancer with six, for six years. Now, I never thought about this until after she had passed. If I had not dropped out of college, I never would have met the love of my life. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that's so, that's such like a big moment. Yeah. I get like at the time, it's probably just such a stressful, like as we were talking mm -hmm. about before, such a stressful time for you to be like, I don't know what I'm doing with my life. I have no money. I'm living with my parents. And then it leads to this incredible thing like to be together for i mean i know i'm i'm sorry you lost her last year but yeah to be together for 44 years is um mm -hmm. is incredible you know great um i also think it's such a fun like the the real like i realized this the second you said it of like oh yeah this is such a casual way to hang out with her like bring her to a party but then realizing like oh you're gonna meet my entire family <laughs> yes <laughs> But I guess it's like it showed it showed if like if you can hang if you can handle this then like you know we'll be okay and I guess it showed it worked out okay. <laughs> oh, my, my intention was not to test her. Yeah, totally, but, totally. Uh, but 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 I viewed it as a test for me of providing you know a, a perfect first date. Um, yeah, give you uh, the hardest uh, circumstances to. <laughs> yes, I, I, I had a few hurdles to uh, to get over with that one, so. Again, we, we had a, a, a wonderful, uh, wonderful life together. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and like, I'm sure losing her too. It's like, I mean, as you said, six years, like that's a tough battle that I'm sure has its own ups and downs to it. Um, and well, that, that, yeah, that, that whole piece was, was, was really interesting. Um, Andy, Andy was diagnosed, um, at the, uh, December of 2015. And one of the things that I found that they always tell cancer patients is to change your diet, you know, don't eat certain foods and you, you'll, you'll live longer. And every doctor that I spoke to after she'd been diagnosed 
and asked them that question. You know, what should he eat? They all said, it doesn't matter. <laughs> she should she should just enjoy herself. And they, nobody would tell us, you know, how long she had to go. But, you know, the, the prognosis really was not was not good. Um, that following summer, uh, we actually spent a lot of time doing day trips. And um, during the summer, we visited 43 wineries. And... Uh, <laughs> That's pretty good. 43 in yeah. over a summer. <laughs> yeah. And uh, some of them more than once. So we, we, we enjoyed ourselves while we could. Yeah. Now, what, one of the other things that uh, Andy did for me, she always took care of me. I took care of her, you know, after she'd been diagnosed, but my, you know, our entire lives together, she, she took care of me and she gave me uh, four rules to live by uh, after she had passed away. Uh, three she gave to me um, originally. Number four came a little bit later um, when we knew it was getting close to the end. Uh, but rules one through three um, uh, kind of went hand in hand. Uh, number one was stop working so hard. My entire career, um, I was a project manager um, actually working on designing and building data centers. So I, I was kind of busy and, and had global customers. I was working 60 to 70 hours a week for 20 years. Yeah, that's a lot. And yes. Which especially coming from the I'm leaving journalism because yes. I can't <laughs> handle this. <laughs> and I, I was working from home long before the pandemic because I couldn't waste time traveling uh, to an office or to customers. I was... I was on the phone. Um, eventually, we're, we were using Zoom and, and other Skype type of things. Uh, and I was extremely busy. And then after Andy was diagnosed, uh, I became her full-time caregiver as well. So she said, stop working so hard. When Andy passed, uh, I was out on bereavement leave. And the uh, company I was working for uh, was asking for volunteers for early retirement. So when that package came out, I said, yeah, I, I need to do this. So that was rule number one, taking care of. I retired, so I stopped working so hard. Rules number two and three kind of went hand in hand, and this is going to get a, a little bit deeper. Number two was go out and meet new people, and number three was have fun. And this is going to take us to uh, a completely different area in regard to how I got started with storytelling. When, after Andy was diagnosed originally, we were getting everything in order, right? Made sure all the wills were in place, you know, everything taken care of. And then one day I asked her, I said, after you're gone, would you like us to have a celebration of life? She responded, yes, but I have one requirement. There must be a bartender. So after she passed, I, I arranged um, to take over a local restaurant and invited people over. The night before, um, my children came in, and I, I had taken six years, and I wrote uh, a eulogy for Andy. And I was in such a state of grief, I knew I wasn't going to get through it. 
I had probably about eight pages of stuff, and it, it, that was not good anyway. So I told my daughter, I said, you know, if I, as I start going through this during the celebration of life, if I give you a quick wave, you know, please just take over. And that's exactly what happened. So my daughter, Karen, got up and told a, a very happy story that I had never heard before about how um, she and Andy um, were searching for a prom dress. And that was great. And then I had the thought that, let me get up and tell a story about Andy. And I told the story that I just told you about how we met on <laughs> our first date. That prompted a dozen other people, unprovoked, to get up and tell stories about Andy. And a lot of them were, were very heart-wrenching, but most of them were just absolutely fun and some were absolutely hilarious. <laughs> After that occurred, uh, one of uh, uh, a friend came up to me and said the story that I told would be a great story for the moth. My response was when I tell other people about the moth, and I said, what the fuck's the moth? <laughs> <laughs> she explained it to me, and we started going to um, some, some live events. You know, before that, I'm watching things on YouTube and listening to the radio hours, and I really just got sucked in. We went to a main stage, which was okay, uh, went to Brooklyn a couple of times, uh, and we're drive, riding home on the train one night. I said, you know something? If I don't do this now, I'm never going to do it. Next time, went into Brooklyn, put my name in the hat, didn't get picked. Did it again, didn't get picked. Man, I know how that goes. <laughs> <laughs> then um, I was going down to Philadelphia, where I'm originally from. Uh, you may not be able to tell from my accent, but yes, uh, originally from Philadelphia. And there was a story slam going on down there. And uh, so I went to my best friend. I said, do you want to go to a story slam? And he said, what the hell is the moth? So I went <laughs> through all that with him. And we went and put my name in and told that story. And uh, I got picked, told that story. And I, I do have to admit that I, I went long on time. Uh, but that's solely because I didn't allow uh, for all the applause and laughter that it generated. Yeah, that's <laughs> of, great. I mean, of, yeah. <laughs> all right. Of course, I, I, I did not win the story slam, uh, but that got me involved. Um, in probably the, the last year or so, uh, I've been going to um, storytelling events all up and down the East Coast. Uh, I've probably seen, I, I'm going to say, 500 different storytellers. Wow. Um, yeah. Go through and tell their stories. And that really is what met um, rules number two and three. Go out, meet new people and have fun. So that that's pretty much uh, been well addressed. Well, and it's it's kind of lovely, too, that it was sort of born out of her celebration of life. Right. Like that. Yes. It was this mm -hmm. direct like all right, I have these two rules. When am I going to, when am I going to like jump into them? And it kind of just started for you. Like, right. It, it really like sent you out on this path immediately. Like that was your sort of first story slam, I guess, was her celebration of life in a way. Cause of everyone just kind of naturally yes. came up and told these stories. 
Yes, without a doubt, without a doubt. So here I am, somebody, you know, retired, was looking for something to do. And uh, I, I, I found something to do. And honestly, I've met so many wonderful, wonderful people uh, through storytelling. Yeah, they're really the best people. I mean, I have spent now eight years or so doing stories. And it's like, yeah, the people I meet doing storytelling are so uh you know especially for me as like you know a white guy in my 30s in brooklyn where i feel like yeah the stand-up comedy scene is its own thing that i feel like is full of me and it's like i would rather meet people (laughs) that are not like me and you really do find that in the storytelling community um yeah and i've met so many great people and and one day i actually hope to get good at storytelling but we'll get there eventually (laughs) you're not too bad so far just from this conversation i mean i'm engaged and i think it's and I feel like there's also something about it that is kind of like, you know, a lifelong pursuit. And I think another thing that's really interesting about storytelling is every time you tell a story, it's different. Right. It's like uh, because of who you are in the world at that point in time and what right. the circumstances are. So it's like it's hard to me. There's not like, a, oh, I've I've done this to the best I can do it. Right. It's like that's going to change. All that stuff changes and we grow as people, too. And that changes, too. So it's always I like it as this idea of like a pursuit in a way that you're never going to be perfect at but it's it's kind of the journey of it is the great part of it yes yep most definitely most definitely and then i know you mentioned too there was a final a final rule that you found out is that where we're is that where (laughs) we're at i didn't know if that was the point of your story (laughs) well well rule number four um is actually kind of uh personal and uh it involves well, she she don't want me to be um, by myself and alone moving forward. Uh, one day, and as mentioned, we were, um, you know, we, we knew that it was close to the end. And I, I knew whenever Andy uh, wanted to tell me something, she would snuggle up close to me and, and look me in the eyes. And one day she said to me, she cuddled up next to me and said, the luckiest day of my life was the day that I met you. And my response was, being a smart ass, does that mean I'm allowed to get lucky too? And she said, that's exactly what I mean, you blockhead. <laughs> <laughs> so that established rule number four. And uh, honestly, rule right now, rule number four is not completely satisfied. Yeah. But again, it's like, that's, I think that's another journey. You know, it's like, again, the, the journeys that we go on in life are I, like, I, yeah, I know you kind of jumped, you got lucky on the rules two and three as it kind of organically coming out of this moment and being able to pursue yep. that for a while. But it's not like you have to, it's not like you have to solve all four rules immediately. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, I mean, it's also, again, I think it's like, again, the journey you know, yes. you two having your journey in life and now like starting this other journey, which I'm sure is, you know, as you mentioned, exciting in its ways of getting to see all these shows. But it's probably also really hard to not to kind of find this new thing without her. Right. And and oh. experience this life, this kind of new chapter in your life, but not having her there alongside you, I'm sure is really hard. Yes. Yes. And uh, now in retrospect, I think if if we had discovered this together she would have been into it wholeheartedly. So. Yeah, I guess that makes it hard too, is like, oh, the the joy that it would have brought her 
on top of the fact that it's bringing you this joy is something you can't right. you can't help but not think about a little bit along the journey. Yes. Yes. But again, it feels like you're you're living up to her her kind of rules for you by getting to experience this and enjoy this in a way that is also, you know, honoring her. I feel like, it, yeah, you're really honoring her by going down this road. And I think that's great. Yes, most definitely. Most definitely. Cool. Well, thank you so much for sharing all that, Paul. It was really lovely to hear and, and lovely to kind of hear. It's nice to, that this is a story about kind of your storytelling journey in a way. And now this is now this is part this has become part of it is being on this yes. show. And I appreciate you coming on to share this. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. I, I do appreciate the opportunity as well. Yeah. And I know, like, as you said, you've gotten more into the storytelling route. Like, is do you I don't know if people want to, like, follow you or track you down or if you're on social media, if there's any way that <laughs> yeah, if people wanted to get in touch with you or want to share anything. Is there a way for people to do that? Um, it, well, I do have an Instagram account. And it's Paul underscore Heary. And uh, the, the only thing out there is a picture of me. I don't post things, but if, if you feel the need to get in touch with me, that in touch with me, that would be the best way to do it. Cool. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Paul, so much for sharing. It was really nice to yeah get to have this conversation with you and meet you for the first time. And um, yeah, thank you so much. All right. Very good. Thank you. Love Hurts is produced, hosted, and edited by Brian Berlin. Theme music by Mickey Hommel. Show art by Caroline Mallon. You can find Love Hurts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like the show, rate and review it on Apple Podcasts and tell a friend about it. You can find Love Hurts on Twitter and Instagram at lovehurtspod, and our website is lovehurtspod.com. I'm Brian Berlin. And this is Love Hurts.